Good morning, everyone. Shall we pray? Give me, O my Lord, that purity of conscience which alone can receive your inspirations. My ears are dull so that I cannot hear your voice. My eyes are dim so that I cannot see the signs of your presence. You alone can quicken my hearing and purge my sight and cleanse and renew my heart. Teach me to sit at your feet and to hear your word. Amen. Peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. Peace of Christ be with you. As we come into our worship service, the help, our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and Jesus Christ. We come seeking to receive a blessing from God. We come seeking to be a blessing to others. When we look around, from where does our help come? help comes from the Holy One who made heaven and earth. Come, let us worship the Lord. As we come into God's presence, let us confess our standing before him as broken people. Almighty and gracious God, you give us every reason to have confidence in you. Still, we are burdened by questions. Where are you calling us to go? From whence will our help come? How can your promises be fulfilled? Patient God, we confess our fear and lack of faith in you. We admit our confusion and resistance to your teachings. Open our minds, O God, and open our hearts, that we may know you are faithful and trust your gracious care for us. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. this good news. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. With these words we know, therefore, in Christ we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hear what the prophet says. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so let us live.
As we come to the reading of God's word, let us pray. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them to the Lord our God. God of call. God of transformation. God of the Lenten journey. Help us to discern your still, small voice. Open us to change and growth that we may walk with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. The first lesson comes from the Gospel of Jesus Christ, according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Nicodemus visits Jesus by night. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson comes to us from Psalm 121, a psalm of ascent that speaks of trust in God along the journey. Hear now the word of God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you are a true Christian, you will not suffer. You will not have problems, 
you will not have difficulties in life. Your life will be really a breeze. You won't need anything. You will not lack anything. And of course, if you do, you're truly not a Christian. Now, if you believe that, you believe a lie of the devil. On the other side of the coin, if you believe that somehow or other, the Christian life is one of burden after burden after burden, that the true Christian needs to walk around with a frown on their face and needs to believe all the things that possibly could go wrong will go wrong, and believe more the Murphy's Law than Moses' Law, then likewise, you believe a lie. Psalm 121 is a psalm that the pilgrims would sing as they came from all over Israel to enter Jerusalem for worship, usually at the Feasts of Tabernacle and at the Feast of Passover and on the Day of Atonement, in some cases. These psalms were written in the context of walking the terrain of the Holy Land from all kinds of areas, both in mountainous areas, in valleys, in deserts, in plains, towards Jerusalem. The psalm says that I will lift my eyes to the hills. Is there something sacred about the mountains? Now, my wife and I were born and raised in Pennsylvania, and I have to be honest with you, we have lived in many places in the world that were flat, that did not have mountains. And when we entered Pennsylvania after many, many years of living in other areas of the country and the world, there was a comfort that we felt. We knew the minute we crossed into the borders of Pennsylvania that we were mountain folk, and we could feel that in our souls. So that, is there something holy about mountains? If we are not aware of what these people knew, then these words are difficult to understand. But you see, throughout the mountains of Israel, there were altars to all the different gods of each of the regions. In this day and age, every mountaintop was a place where the god of that region was worshipped. There were altars on those mountaintops. The mountaintops were the places that people looked to for that god to protect them and provide for them and basically make life possible in that region. And so the psalmist allows these people to say, they lift up their eyes to the hills, but really, where does your help come from? We live in a day and age of medical science and pharmaceuticals. We live in a day and age when drugs are not just for medicinal purposes. People believe that drugs can be used for enlightenment, illumination. They believe that drugs can somehow relieve the anxiety I remember one medical doctor, he was making a presentation at the Hershey Medical Center and talked about 
patients struggling from anxiety. And they would come in to him and say, you know, the pills aren't working because I still feel anxious. And he said, excuse me, but being human requires a little bit of anxiety. You see, in our day and age, we look to other kinds of mountaintops. We look to mountaintops of social programs, medical and pharmaceuticals, psychiatric care. We look to all kinds of places for help. And they are indeed places where we can get help. But where does our help really come from? When it all boils down to who can we count on to be there for us, when life deals us a bad hand, when we do begin to see the struggle or the pain or the suffering, Psalmist says that our help comes from the Lord. And this Lord is not the Lord of miracles. This is not the Lord of great and miraculous deeds. Or this is not the Lord of supernatural events. This is the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the God of creation. The God who made us and formed us into the unique human beings that we are. This is the God who knows our thoughts before we know them ourselves. This is a God who has designed not only our bodies, but our personalities, and has providentially guided our personal histories to make us the people that we are today. This God, the psalmist says, will not let your foot be moved, and he who keeps you will not slumber. Both of these pointing to the behavior of other gods. You remember the story of Elisha the the prophet when he teased the prophets of Baal. Maybe your God is sleeping. Wake him up. Sing the songs. Make noise. Wake your God up to see if he'll respond to your prayers. There was a sense in which the people believed that God wasn't always available, that God had the capacity to back away from creation, that God had a time to slumber, if you will, to take a divine catnap. The psalmist says, our God is not like that. Our God does not withdraw. Our God does not isolate us. Our God does not let us alone. Our God enters into our lives. The Lord is your keeper. Now, that's a very strong word, keeper. When you think of someone being kept by somebody, what do you think of? I don't think it's a, a, a positive image that you have, is it? If someone is being kept by someone, what does that mean in our culture? Huh? It could be prostitution. It could be some kind of slavery. It could be trouble. Yeah. There is a sense in which being kept can have very negative connotations in our culture from our perspective. But this sense of keeper is sustainer. This Hebrew word for keeper is the word 
for someone who upholds something. The Lord is your keeper and is the shade at your right hand. There is comfort in that shade. In the deserts that you walk through in the, in the Holy Land, the shade is where you go to get relief, to get comfort, to rest. One of the next things that is said in this psalm does not make a lot of sense to those of us in modern times. It says that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, I can understand the sunshine. In a desert, the sunshine could fry you like a pancake on the hot pavement on a hot summer day. The desert is a place of tremendous sunlight and heat, and it can bring dehydration and death without proper care and source of water. But what is this thing about nor the moon by night? What is the old word for someone who is mentally imbalanced? A lunatic. And where does lunatic come from? The Latin word for moon, the luna. You see, it is a very ancient belief that the moon controls the mental health of people, just like it does the tides. Okay? Nurses many times have told me that emergency rooms and hospitals tend to have more people with difficulties when there's a full moon. Okay? Maybe that's true. Maybe modern science doesn't know everything there is to know about this dynamic. We do know that this weekend we have the supermoon experience, which is actually beginning to threaten the island of Japan again because it brings in high tides of tremendous uh, difference from any other time in the years. But this idea that the moon somehow can hurt us doesn't make sense to us as modern people. But for a traveler going to Jerusalem, exposure to the moon could mean that I would have a mental breakdown. Could mean that somehow or other I would not get the right kind of rest so that I would not make it to the city. The psalmist concludes with the Lord will keep you from all evil. And now this is where the, the misconception comes. We somehow read those words and think that somehow or other, if that's true, we shouldn't have problems in our lives. We shouldn't experience brokenness. That somehow or other, if the Lord is keeping us, then we shouldn't be experiencing the effects of evil. But we do, don't we? What is God protecting us from? What is God keeping us from then, if not from the consequences of evil? God is keeping us, in the second phrase, he is keeping your life. He is keeping that energy, that ability to cope with what comes into our lives. The God who is keeping us from evil does not allow the evil circumstances to so overcome us that we let go of our faith or lose our relationship with God. The Lord will keep you going out and you coming in from this time on and forevermore. The Lord will always be with you. Last week we talked about hiding in God. And someone commented to me on the way out of the service, you can 
always hiding God, but you can't hide from God. And the psalmist knows that. That's what he's saying here. There is never a moment in our lives when we are not accompanied by the divine. Never. Not for a second. Not for a millisecond. And it is that foundation of our faith that enables us to find courage to take on all the problems and struggles that we have. It is that foundational truth that allows us to believe that in the severest of difficulties, God is still with us. And God will comfort and guide and counsel us. These are words that the journey, the the people on the journey to Jerusalem would sing as a way to remind themselves. But it's interesting to me that the passage we read from John involves a religious person, Nicodemus, coming to Jesus, asking the questions about what is this thing you're talking about, Jesus? What is this kingdom of God? And what, how do I get in, involved in all of this? How does, it, how does it happen? And Jesus concludes with these words. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. I don't think we hear that clearly enough sometimes. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, God is not wanting to accuse us. God is not wanting us to somehow walk around feeling this internal condemnation for who we are or how we live or what we do, but rather gives us Jesus Christ so that we can know that we are saved, that we are whole, that we are loved, that we are indeed constantly cared for by the divine. That is the nature of the good news that we have in Christ. It is part of what sustains us in the journey of life. And it is a truth that we need to understand anew and afresh during the Lenten journey. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time of year and for these lessons that you have taught us as pilgrims on our journey. We lift up Jesus Christ as the serpent in the wilderness and seek to be made whole trusting you alone, O Lord, for our salvation and for all that we need and for all that we are. We pray these things in his powerful and precious name. Amen.
the words of the Heidelberg Catechism to confess our faith in Christ. Together, I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. Through Christ's death, our old selves are crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may dedicate ourselves as an offering of gratitude to him. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, the ground of our being, the source of our life, the purpose of our life, we are grateful for what you have given. And for what we give, we give gratitude to you and ask it be used for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. God of all seasons, in your pattern of things, There is a time for keeping and a time for losing, a time for building up and a time for pulling down. In this season of Lent, as we journey to the cross, help us to discern in our lives what we must lay down and what we must take up, what we must end and what we must begin. Give us grace to lead a disciplined life in glad faithfulness and with the joy that comes from a closer walk with Christ. And hear us as we pray for. Hear our prayer. For the well-being of the unborn, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear as we pray boldly the words Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The first Sunday of April, when we celebrate Holy Communion. Uh, the consistory has decided to offer the, uh, that particular service envelopes for taking up of a special offering that will be sent to the Reformed World uh, Church Service, um, or Church World Service. I forget how that, what that is off the top of my head. RCWS, I think, is right, Martha? It's RCWS, right? Reformed Church World Service. Uh, Yes, okay. So we will provide special envelopes that Sunday for that offering uh, on the first Sunday of April. 
okay? And uh, also to remind you that that same Sunday afternoon at 3, uh, there will be a memorial service here at the church for our sister, Edith Beardsley. Okay, and everyone's invited to that service as well. Then let's turn to hymn number 483 to close. Sing praise to God. Let us go forth, knowing that in our struggle, Christ is always with us and God is always watching over and providing for us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now until Christ returns and then forever and all God's people said.